I have found that if you're going to have awkward conversations, do it in motion, like either driving in the car yeah. or walking together. Some of our best conversations, I mean, like I said, we were in the car talking about oral sex is because we were, nobody was facing each other and we're just all facing forward. Mm-hmm. And for us, that one started because we were listening to a song. We love music. We try to let our girls listen to all kinds of music. And my daughter was like wanting to listen to a certain song and it was literally talking about like, and I was like, do you know what they're meaning when they're saying that? And she, because I'm like, I just want you to like, if you're going to walk around singing, I just want to make sure you're aware of what you're saying. And she's like, no. And, and I just blatantly said what it is that he's meaning in this song. I pretty much know exactly what song you're talking about. <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed, And has had the whole conversation. conversation as well. I can't imagine. <laughs> I know exactly that. the song. That right. is so funny. Right. Do you see my pen? I got notes right here. Yeah, I'm looking to make it a little lighter. (laughs) Are we mutually aligned right now? Oh my goodness. There's There's always always two two. versions. I mean, you're moving a little slow, but... Working really hard. (laughs) We will definitely talk about that later. (laughs) Love for work. Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Wow, we're in season two. This is great. Learning about parenting. Parenting. You're a parent. It's the best of times and the worst of how does times. It feel? All in one. How does it feel to be a parent? Old. Yeah. <laughs> I tend to agree with that. I think, um, yeah, you get to a place in life when you're like, wow, I'm a parent. I have to, do, I'm supposed to be teaching doing the right thing. Apparently, I need to be doing the right thing. And then you're not doing the right thing. Is that an, an attack on me? No. I'm saying, like, and then we, are not yeah. doing the right thing. And then our parents, our kids are watching us not do the right thing. Mm. And then they're like, well, why are you doing that when you said we can't do that? And then it just life. You Lord brought, have mercy. You brought this up the other day with me when you were talking about how I was telling our son that he needed to get off his screen. His screen time was over and then I was on my phone. Yeah. I said that you're not modeling screen time very well. <laughs> That was See, like again, we're not doing it right. And then we expect our kids to do it right. It's just that this is hard stuff, y'all. Well, listen, in this whole series, I want to remind you that this is we are not parenting experts in any way. We are <laughs> parenting learners. We're in only fact, we pretty much suck a lot of the times. So well, uh, I'm just saying we're doing this series because we're trying to learn. We need to learn a lot. So we're gonna learn from the experts. We got we got we got a good one today. And her approach, I feel like, is non-traditional. Oh, I like that. And um, I think she would like that about her too. Yeah. And I think it I think it's really good to hear some new perspectives on parenting. Um, not just the do this and do that and do the right thing perspective. I think she's trying to approach parenting in a way, man, where she she gets them to be critical thinkers in life. Yeah. And a part of it as well. Right. Yeah. So today we have Sarah Bragg. She has written a book called A Mother's Guide to Raising Herself. What Parenting Taught Me About Life, Faith, and Myself. And it is available for pre-order right now, but the book does come out in August. But please go, if you enjoy this conversation that we had with her, and I think you will, go and pre-order her book right now now. She also has a great podcast. Yes. It's called Surviving Sarah. And uh, oh, we are on her <laughs> podcast. I don't know if I want to recommend this. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyone. No, let's recommend the one that I we recommend, did. I recommend her podcast. I don't know if I recommend our interview on her podcast. Oh, I'm going to recommend one. Okay. We had a nice, long sex chit chat. So I feel like y'all should go on and check it out and listen to some sex talk. Yeah. It was good. Was it? It was real. <laughs> I mean, this is about as real as you can get with that talk. So, yeah. uh, all right. But anyway, Sarah is amazing. And we had a great conversation. What should we be listening for? I mean, in a continuation of what you're just saying, I mean, we... We do talk to her about how she's normalized conversation about sex with her two daughters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. I mean, a lot of people have questions 
around how to talk to their kids about sex. And she, she really leads us in some interesting conversations related to that. Secondly, how to teach your kids curiosity. And third, um, she shares a really intimate story about saying sorry to her children. Yeah. Good, good stuff. So here we go. This is Sarah Bragg. So first of all, this whole thing is going to be a little bit about you, a little bit about parenting, a little bit about your relationship. We're going to we're going to go deep. So I'd love for you to start by sharing a little bit with us about your family and um yeah, d- tell us about your family. Yeah. Well, I'm super happy to hang out with you guys. This is like our third time to get to hang out. So I'm I'm for We it. love each other that much. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, Yeah. So I have been married to Scott for 15 years and um, and we have two girls. So Sinclair is at this moment, like rounding the corner of finishing seventh grade. And and then Rory is fifth grade. So we're we're 10 and 12 right here with these girls. Um, And we currently live in Tennessee. We've been in Atlanta for, gosh, feels like forever. And you know, true COVID style, we just turned everything upside down and and chose to to leave Atlanta, which was, I think, one of the hardest parts of leaving Atlanta was leaving the Braves. We were ten minutes from the Atlanta Braves, and we were big Braves fans. So, mm-hmm. um, but and then we chose to move back to where I grew up, and we live now with Acres and Acreage, I guess is what it is, and um, and excited to be back near my family. So, yeah, that's a little snapshot of our family. And you have written a book. Well, are writing a book. It's coming out soon. Yes. Um, but it's a mother's guide to raising herself. I love that. Number mm-hmm. one. Thank you. Uh, that's a great title. But basically, what parenting has taught me about life, faith, and myself. What mm-hmm. led you? Was there a moment? Was there a conversation? Or has this been just like a multitude of things that led you to decide, I need to write this book? I have always loved writing. And so, in fact, I, my very first book that was ever published, I was 27. And I look back, I'm like, I was oh, such wow. a little baby back then. And I wrote a book about um, my story with body image and that sort of thing. And it was published. And and I really thought I was on this like trajectory of like, I'm going to just like, I'm going to be writing and speaking and, you know, doing all those things. And that was at 27. And then I had Sinclair at 30. And I felt like everything just like stopped. Like uh, I, I stopped knowing how to write. It was not only was because just being a mom and like, wait, how do I put words together to form sentences anymore? I don't even know. Um, but I had a professional like kind of uh, rejection happen at the same time. And so those two combinations of a professional rejection as a writer, and then my daughter being born and just not knowing how to do this, like I just stopped writing. So really for a long time, I just didn't... I thought, well, that was it. I'll just be a one book person and I'll never write anything else again. But looking back with the hindsight, the the beauty that hindsight is, I can see... I feel like I just need to live a little more life. And... Um, the life that I have lived as a mom and raising my girls, gosh, there has been so much life lived that I had no idea what was happening in the midst of it. But as I thought I was raising these girls, uh, in turn, I really found I was raising myself because there was things that I would want to communicate to my girls. And I was so strongly wanted them to know these things that maybe I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I realized, gosh, I either I've learned this and I want them to know this, or I would start going, gosh, I really want them to know this thing. But do I really believe that to be true for me? And and if I and if I want it to be true for them, then I want to do the work to figure out how it's true for me. And so I realized in the process of raising these girls, I was really just raising myself. So full circle, when it came back to, you know, I, I had that, still had that itch inside me to write. And all these years later, that was the message that was kind of, I don't know, just kind of coming out was like, I, it's, you know, it's about courage and vulnerability and authenticity and belonging and love and all these things that I was like, this is what needs to be said. This is what the biggest, the last 10 years, you know, 12 years of my life have been leading towards was this whole idea of all these things that I've been learning and growing up in. Um, that's exactly what I wanted to to put out. Because I want one day my girls to read that too and go, oh yeah, like I, 
I, I, I want to grow in that way if I'm not already evolving in that way. That's so interesting. Like, I think when you, you know, obviously when we got married, that was like an identity shift in some ways um, or had to wrestle through that in some way. Uh, having children then brings this secondary or third identity shift. Um, talk about that. Like, how, what went through your, what was your process in starting to understand yourself post having children again? Yeah, I feel like my 20s and when I yeah, I got married when I was 27, I felt like I was a super confident person. Like, hmm. oh, well, why wouldn't I do that? I'm like, yeah, like, oh, write a book at 25. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Of course I can do that. Like, I would have all these things like move to California. Sure. Why not? Why would I not do that? And so I felt like my 20s, it was, it was a, an era of my identity where I, I kind of came into myself in a really confident way. Um, and then my 30s, I felt like with having kids, this new identity that kind of was motivated by fear. Because I feel like mm. all of a sudden you realize, like I, had, like I mentioned a minute ago, fear, I had faced this kind of rejection and this kind of sense of failure um, in a professional sense. And... And so then that marked that, oh, that confidence got shook <laughs> from uh -huh. my 20s. And then you have kids and you go, oh my goodness. They, like, they literally let me leave the hospital with this, this human and keep it alive. <sighs> like, I don't know anything. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. It feels so uncertain. And there's like nothing. It feels so unknown. And, and so I felt like my identity during those 30s, I just felt very lost. Like I felt like I knew who I was in my 20s and I was going after it. And then I hit this mark of like, oh, well, now you're supposed to be this parent. And I think this is what parents are supposed to do. And I think this is what moms should do and should look like and should mm -hmm. act like. And so I felt like the 30s were spent kind of being afraid in the wilderness of this parenting, the unknown, mm -hmm. and trying to figure out who I actually am and what I'm actually supposed to do. Um, because I spent so many years just doing what everybody told you to do. Well, if you read these parenting books, this is what you do and this is who you are. Hmm. And so it wasn't really until my late thirties, which is so stereotypical to say like, Oh, you had your, <laughs> you know, you turned 40 and you, you know, but it, it really was a lot of circumstances of what I was taught growing up. were not matching up to the experiences that I was having as a mom where you're going, hmm. gosh, like, surely this is going to get easier at some point. Like, surely I'm going to figure this out. Like, I've always been able to master other things. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm competitive. I like, give me a plan. I can succeed. I can figure it out. And I just was never figuring this out. <laughs> like, I was just, it was like two steps forward, eight steps back. Like, what are we doing? This is going nowhere. Um, and so, but it was, so it was kind of like sitting in those circumstances of the hard mm. and, and going, gosh, well, gosh, who is, who am I really? Because I'm tired. And if I have to keep dancing around who I thought I was supposed to be or who I should be, but what this kind of mom looks like, what this kind of human looks like, I don't know if I can do it. This is just really exhausting. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like that kind of set me on a path of really just figuring out, well, then who am I really? You know, what do I really like? What do I really want? Um, what do I really want to do? Um, what makes me happy? What kind of mom am I really? Um, and and so I do feel like leading into the 40s, I had I had found my kind of authentic self and I had chosen to start taking steps of kind of revealing that to the people around me. And then now, you know, I'm this is I'll be 43 this year. And now it's like, let's let's put out like who I am in a book form. Oh man, talk about vulnerability. <laughs> like let's just, let's just, let's just throw it out there and everybody can read uh my authentic self. It was that process going from confident to gosh, driven by fear and what you're supposed to be and do to really just kind of getting tired of the performance and going, okay, I think that, this is who I am. And I know that at the end of the day, I know Scott, my husband and my two girls love me hmm. and I belong there and I belong to myself and let's, that, that should be enough. So hmm. um, I do feel like I, that was kind of the process of getting there a little bit. I actually have a follow-up question to this real quick. I, I'm curious, is there one story in your book that you're nervous of what people are going to think about you? Like, because this is, this is my, my battle. I could really relate with the story you just told. 
or that that progression. And yeah, I put some stuff in a book and I'm like, man, this one, I don't know what people are going to think about that. You know, there's there's probably a few. There's there's one that, you know, I, I get very vulnerable about um, spanking and 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 it's there's a chapter called I'm sorry. So every chapter is based on a different phrase that I have either started saying to my girls because I want them to kind of understand these things, these truths or things that I started saying to myself. And so this one is on regret and how I regretted. I remember just spanking my daughter because I think I was so... I spent so many years angry at my kids because I just didn't know how to handle this. Like, what do you mean you're like saying no? What do you mean you're pushing up against me? Like, I don't like... Let's, life would be easier if you just like get in line. Look, let's just like... Just let's obey. do this. And, yeah. Yes. Like, and then growing up and, you know, in in the in the church environment that I did, you, you had this sense of like, no, you just obey. Like, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Like, you just obey. And... And so wrestling with that idea of, you know, you, you, you don't just have to obey, but there's some safety things like you just, there's so, it's so much more complex, but I just, in those years just responded, I don't know, out of anger and, and fear. And, and I, and I, I remember this has been probably a couple of years ago, I was in the car with Sinclair, my oldest. And, and I said, I just really want to apologize for, um, for spanking you when you were little. I said, I think in my mind, I thought it was communicating that I love you because, you know, that's, there's a, I don't know if you ever heard this, like, oh, you mm-hmm. spank because you love them because you want them, you know, you want their best for them. I said, but did you feel loved? And she's like, no. And I was like, I didn't think so. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm sorry. And that was, that's, it's because that, you know, I tell that story, I mean, I, like I get teary saying it, I teary when I wrote it. Um, I don't, you know, that's a, that's one of those hot buttons. Like what, you know, everybody's like, oh, you should spank, you shouldn't spank. Like that's a, you know, I get yeah. nervous about things like that. Um, you know, or, or, or when I learned that, you know, I tell a story about being with some friends and um, being told that we love you despite of who you are. And I was like, ouch, like, no, like I want you to love me because of who I am. Like, and so mm. sometimes I think that's a hard story to tell. Hmm. And because we want a, a lot of, you know, in the Christian circuit, um, you know, a, we want people to understand that they need love. They need um, that you're loved because of like grace, um, mm-hmm. that you're so awful, but you're loved. This is great. Like, this is good news. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, no, I just want to be loved because I am who I am. Um, mm-hmm. Flaws and all. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. So those are some things that I get nervous. Like, oh, are people going to like, that's a really vulnerable, like, thing to say out loud. Are they going to, are they going to, you know, stone me or something? But, um, but yeah, <laughs> well, not to mention there's a whole chapter on sex. So that's, that's, you know, a little vulnerable too. So. Oh yeah. We love those chapters. <laughs> but you guys know that. We know all you about that. You guys went there too. We yeah. know all about yeah. that. I do love your take. I mean, let's jump to it. You just led right yeah. us right there to it, to the sex thing. I really have loved your philosophy with your girls about normalizing sex and normalizing the conversation. And tell us like, how did this come about and why this is important to you? And what do you, what are you actively doing with your girls in that way so that they understand? Yeah. Yeah, You know, I, I I grew up and my husband too, in purity culture in the nineties and, um, and so we entered into our, even our marriage with a lot of, you know, baggage and a lot of um, you know, unrealistic expectations, but also non-conversation about sex in a way that was mutual or pleasure. You, you're like so fearful about all the things. And, um, and so when we, st- but we started taking steps towards this and we started, you know, opening up lines of communication, ourselves having a healthier sex life together and then you have these kids and and I'm sure that you know this when you have kids it raises up so many things in you that you go oh well I don't I don't want them to like I don't want them to have that kind of baggage I don't want them to to have this kind of thing and so for for us we started it was started really trying to picture our girls as like you know 30 year olds like 40 year olds like the what, end in mind. what kind of right with the end in mind and here they and keep in mind 
they were four and six when we started thinking this way. So they were so little. They were so little. And so it was really creepy and weird to go, okay, when they're 30, what kind of like, oh gosh, I want them to have a great sex life. Whatever that looks like, I want them to have a great sex life. So what can we start doing now so that they can be a, a healthy sexual human, you know, as a 30-year-old? And so we wanted to start talking about sex early. We didn't want a one-time conversation, which, you know, for people you know, of our age, if they grew up in the purity culture, or even just in general, if you just grew up, you know, you didn't talk about sex with your parents. You didn't talk about, you know, most people were not having, I know, Andre, you've talked about, you had like clinical version conversations about sex with yeah, your mom. with my mom. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. And so, but, you know, I didn't have any of these conversations with my parents. You know, my husband didn't have those kind of conversations with his parents. And so we were like, I think we need to start talking about it early because we don't want to just be like, well, you're 13 now. We're going to have one conversation and that's it. And that's going to set you up for future. Um, We wanted to have ongoing conversations. So I still remember the night we bought a book from uh, Dr. Jim Burns. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, And he he has several books written for developmentally age. And this one was for ages like four to six. And it was just called God, God Made Me, I think. And I drank... A margarita, and then I sat down with the girls for like bedtime reading. <laughs> Took a couple you know? shots, you and know, it was okay, right? It was fine. <laughs> Tequila helped. It was good, and because you just want to giggle through it all, like it, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, like what, you know? But it was great because it was this picture book, and all we did was we just sat there, and girls on each side of me, and we just like read this book. You know, it's like you know, you know, and it talked about like, you know. God made your your penis and God made your vagina as much as God made your elbow. Like it was like normalizing those words. Um, and that was our first step. Like we just wanted to normalize the words, like that this is as much a part of your body as your elbow or your toes or your brain. Like it's all a part of you. And I I laughed because I remember my my oldest, he was six, was like, Can I take that book with me and read it again? I'm like, okay, like giggle, giggle, you know, it just is all funny, you know. Um but that's just how it started. And then we would, and we just kept opening those doors for conversations and, and, you know, conversations. Um, I remember about like the physical act of sex, what it was and how it was. I mean, we had our neighbors were in the backyard for a barbecue and my daughter walks in and we start talking about it. And she was like, I mean, do you have to like be naked to do that? And I was like, yes. She's like, well, so do you do that in the shower? And I was like, um, well, you can. Like, I'm like, what are we doing here? Why are we? You know? It's like, it's just, you know, or we've had conversations about oral sex in the car while we're like driving to grandparents' house. Like things just kind of come up because we've normalized this conversation so much with them. Hey. What? I like your shirt. Well, thanks. I mean, most of my shirts have motivational sayings on them, right? Always. That's like, why I'm just like commenting again, because, you know, it's pretty much your everyday. I feel like running a nonprofit, like that's kind of part of life. All my free shirts get shared every day in the office. With lots of very motivational statements. Well, at Plywood, the organization I lead, we always get our shirts printed by a partner of ours. They're called Booster Spirit Wear. And they create custom apparel that strengthens ties between people and the groups they care about. So listen, if you are running an organization, if you have any need or desire to get something printed, go check out Booster Spirit Wear. They have an awesome culture. We actually promoted them in our date night with a popped a confetti cannon and scared you. It's very awesome. They have a great culture. They do great work. They have creative ways where you can actually pre-sell things. It could be a fundraiser for your organization, whatever it is. Booster is helping support our podcast. We are very thankful for them and to their team. So go check out their work and support them. Boosterspiritwear.com. Give me something that a listener who is having a hard time even bringing it up. Like, how do you, you know... Do you have questions, honey, about sex? Probably not. What are some kind of ways that maybe somebody who is a parent that really hasn't had those kind of conversations, but really wants to try, right? Like they know it's important. They realize that it's not really happened, which I feel like I've had so many conversations with women about this. They're like, wait, what? You've already had the sex talk? I'm like, I've had it like every day since they were three, you know, it's a normal, but some people have not. So how do we help 
those parents? What's something that, what are ways that they can start maybe later? If they're young, go with a book, you know, a picture book that you can read together. If they are elementary age, I know that I don't know as many resources for the boys just because I've raised girls, but the American Girl doll, there's yeah. like a body, there's That's body a really books. Good one. And yeah. I gave them to our girls and we would talk through it. And that really helped normalize a lot of things. And then I feel like it's just, sometimes it's just knowing it's just going to be awkward. And <laughs> I might have to like have an awkward transition into this conversation. But I think it's less awkward than going, we're going to go away for a whole weekend. And this is the topic at hand. Like versus... I have found that if you're going to have awkward conversations, do it in motion. Like either driving in the car or walking together. Some of our best conversations... I mean, like I said, we were in the car talking about oral sex. It's because we were... Nobody was facing each other. And we're just all facing forward. Mm-hmm. And for us, that one started because we were listening to a song. We love music. We try to let our girls listen to all kinds of music. And my daughter was like wanting to listen to a certain song. And it was literally talking about like... And I was like, do you know what they're meaning when they're saying that? And she... Because I'm like, I just want you to... Like, if you're going to walk around singing, I just want to make sure you're aware of what you're saying. And she's like, no. And and I just blatantly said what it is that he's meaning in this song. I pretty much know exactly what song you're talking about. (laughs) I'm kind of embarrassed. And has had the whole conversation as well. I can't imagine. I know exactly the song. That is so funny. And she was like, oh, gross. Maybe I I shouldn't sing that out loud. Right. And then, (laughs) right. And then it led to like, okay, well, if 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 a boy ever told you he wanted you to do that, what are you going to say? Like, mm-hmm. and leading to those conversations of consent. And again, this, she was like 11, like, yeah. and my younger one was nine and we're having these conversations. But mm-hmm. those are such important conversations to be having because, you know, sometimes I, we find ourselves and you can look back at your own life and you would find yourself in situations and go, gosh, I, if I just had a script, if someone had just told me what to say, I just didn't know what to say in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just want to keep giving my girls, <laughs> here's what you can say. Um, and, yeah. and so that was one of those moments that I'm like, this is what this means. And, and if someone asks you to do that, do you want to do that? Do you, you know, like going, ask, making them critically think about that and then giving them something to say if they don't. Okay. So here's what I take from this. It's not about how to a- approach the oral sex conversation, but it is <laughs> more around. I have a feeling if you're not accepting of your own identity. If you don't know who you are yourself, what you actually believe, what you think, how are you ever going to teach your kids that? Is that a fair, is that kind of the journey you've been on? Is that a fair assessment? For sure. I mean, and especially in this department, um, it took for me, you know, figuring out my own view of myself in regards to sex and what I thought about it and what, you know, there was so, I had so many, you know, misconceptions of, what was quote right and what was wrong and what was acceptable and unacceptable. And that if I wanted going back to that end of mind, if I wanted my daughter to be a healthy, have a great sex life at 30 and have a healthy view of her sex, then I'm going to have to figure this out. Cause I've got to, I, I can't just assume that she's going to get there. I've got to do the work for myself. And that's, it, it kind of forced me to go, well, if I want her to have this, a, a great sex life, then I've got to figure out what a great sex life is. And I've got to figure out what is healthy, a healthy sexuality for myself so that I can help navigate that for her. Um, and so that really did. It, it was connected for me, for sure. It, my follow-up question is, when you told, your husband's name Scott, right? Scott, when you, after that whole conversation, yeah. I can, I have to know what was when you. He told, was in the car. Oh, he was oh, there. He was. He, <laughs> he was, was in the car. He was just really quiet. <laughs> just kidding. No. There's been times the kids have asked me things. And I'm like, yeah. When your mom, comes you need home. to ask mom about that. <laughs> and then I get ambushed with no, you know. Yeah. You walk in the door and it's like. Yeah. Yeah. No, we. He kind of used to kind of push that off to me, kind of like a lot. And then a few years ago, I feel like he was like, no, like I want them, like I have just as much a part in helping to normalize sex and for them to see a healthy, you know, partner for their mom, like to be this act. So, so he was the one that like took it, he like took it a step further and he would like basically 
like they would say something. He's like, well, it's because I'm going to go have sex with your mom. And they would be like, oh my gosh, what? You know, but he like took it a step further and would say like, yeah, that, yeah, we do that. Like, and I'm going, oh my gosh, why are we saying like anything right now? Um, I'm sweating. Um, <laughs> but he did. He wanted to, he wanted to take that active step of going, we're just, you can talk to me just as much as you can talk to your mom. And we're going to yeah. like mm. make sure that these lines of communication are open and that you see that, you know, for the two of us in a relationship, this is a two-way street. It's not just, you know, about your mom or just going to be about you, but it's, you know, you have a partner in this. Hmm. I like that. I also loved uh, you kind of talking one of your chapters about curiosity. I love, tell me how you came to that and what was your phrase and what is something that maybe triggered you to really want to make that be so important for your girls? Yeah. The phrase is just be curious. And I feel like for me and in, in the when I began to embrace curiosity, I began to lead with curiosity instead of fear. And mm-hmm. like I said, in those all those early years of parenting, especially, fear was just driving the car. Mm-hmm. And you know, every decision you make, what you can do, what you can't do, all that's just fear is just driving. And when I allowed curiosity to lead, there was a lot more peace that followed in my life. So even curiosity about my faith and going, asking questions of it, because I had grown up of, you know, there's certain answers. This, there, this, some things are just so certain. But as I got older, I was like, yeah, well, as I got older, I was like, there's a lot less things that, that are certain in life. And there's a lot more unknowns in life than I grew up believing. Mm-hmm. And so... The, the curiosity, though, allowed me to ask questions and allowed me to see things differently. And so even like when it came to people, you know, like when I lead in relationships with curiosity, I have so much more empathy and perspective. I can, I can go, gosh, I wonder why they think this way. I wonder what happened that, that led them down this path. And when you, when you lead with curiosity, I started finding that I was more generous in my responses towards people. Mm. And, and so that's what I really wanted for my girls was to be able to walk through life with curiosity and learn how to ask questions and to not just believe something just because, well, the, this person in authority told me. So, I, you know, which, which can be frustrating as a parent because I am in their authority and then they're being curious and they're pushing and you're like, can we just, just don't ask me more questions. Let's just like keep moving. <laughs> um, but I know in the long run, that 30-year-old kid who grows up, it'll be great. You know, but like one of my favorite shows of 2020 was Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. Loved it so much. I think we, Scott does so not good. like for me to admit this, but we watched it four times last year. And um, that one of my favorite scenes is it, they're in, they're playing darts and he's talking to this idea is like, if you had been more curious, you would have like asked these questions. And the, the quote is Walt Whitman, be curious, not judgmental. And I feel like for me, that is what I've learned that, that the more curious I am, the less judgmental I am towards myself, towards others. And that's really... That, that makes me a better human when I lead with curiosity. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you really make this important even with faith questions. Is that true? Like that's even for your kids. How are you navigating those types of, are you allowing them to just explore? Are you, I mean, because I think it's so often that if somebody was brought up in a in a faith community, we want to give them the tools and the answers and the in the understanding and that foundation, right? But it seems like if you're asking, if you're telling your kids that you want them to be curious, that giving them an answer or giving them these base foundations is not the approach that you're taking. Is that true? Right. It's true. We we started shifting... Um, Again, it's, I guess when we started talking about sex, about ages four and six, I guess that was a big shift on a lot of things for us in our parenting, just because things weren't lining up. Like we were going, this is this doesn't make sense. Why, you know, I I, I kept reading all these parenting books that were like, well, when a kid, you know, does something wrong, they need to ask forgiveness from God, and it just felt really weird to me and to my husband. And it, it, he was like, so you're telling me this kid who can't even understand the fact that she threw a shoe at her sister, that that was wrong. She's also going to ask forgiveness from a God that she can't see. And she can't, she just 
is having a hard time fathoming that. Hmm. And so that was kind of a catalyst for us to go, I feel like we need to start talking about these faith things in a different way. And we knew that we wanted them to be adults. We didn't want to build such a certain faith that when they become older, when they go to college or when they get into their 20s or they face something that doesn't line up to what they thought was true when they were kids, we didn't want them to have to deconstruct a faith. We wanted them to kind of construct their own faith from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I mean, a lot of people differ on that. A lot of people say that because kids are concrete thinkers, we should give concrete answers and certain answers. And so it feels kind of vulnerable and risky that we're taking a different approach because mm-hmm. I don't know, we may be wrong. You know, like mm. it, our kids may be ruined for life. We don't know, like based on this. Um, but <laughs> but we really wanted to teach them to be critical thinkers and and to go, let's give open-ended answers to their questions. So I remember um, driving in the car with Sinclair. We were, I think we were just on the way to a horse lesson. And I don't even know how this came up. I think she was talking about something. Someone had sent something at school. And so she was like, do you think hell is real? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, a lot of people think differently. Some people think it is. Some people think it's not. What do you think? So instead of ever giving my answer, I just wanted her to go, you have the the right to think for yourself. And you have the right to answer this question, not based on anything else. Mm-hmm. Just what is it? Listen to yourself. What do you feel like is true? And mm-hmm. that to me, I never, I never learned that until I was you know, near 40 to start listening to what felt right within myself. Um, and so that, that to me is what, how we're trying to handle this. And, and, and of course, and we stopped reading certain Bible stories because you're going, golly, like mass genocide or like rape or, you know, you know, like in times there's a Satan, what? Like there's all these things that you're going just fear inducing and anxiety inducing. And so we had a kid that was highly anxious and I was like, I just don't think this is helpful. And let's, so let's like, you know, construct this idea of, you know, I really do love that Jesus was all about loving others and loving, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. I take that as it's just important to learn to love yourself. It is to learn to love your neighbor. And, and that's just kind of how we've, we've hinged on this one, like this one little thing, like loosely hinged on this. And then we're going to let you kind of build from there and teach you to ask questions and, ask yourself, does this sound right? Does this, based on what I've experienced and what I've known to be true and what our family talks about and what, it, what does this feel right? Does this feel right? And I, and I think they're going to get, I, I, again, I want them to construct their faith rather than destruct it later in life. And so could be wrong. We could be doing this wrong, but that, that's to us, it, it makes the most sense to, to lead in that way. So you mentioned earlier, like a, like a real defining moment in your life was this professional rejection. I don't know what that was exactly, but I mean, that was like a, a turning point in your life. And I'm curious how you talk to your kids about rejection, because I think for me as a dad, I remember my daughter was trying out for this dance company and I honestly, I wasn't sure how good she was. You know, you think your kid is the best at everything they do. Like you just err on that side, but you're like, she might not make it. And I and I was trying to process in my head, like, well, if she doesn't, how do I turn this into a teaching moment as a dad? Uh, how how have you talked about rejection or how have you approached that with your with your girls? I at this stage, I feel like I continue just to try to lead with empathy. It's really hard for me to not want to fix things. Mm-hmm. I'm a fixer. Like, here's the problem. Let's, here's three steps. You can, here's three ways to look at rejection and we're going to get past this. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> um, and so I just really, the, the times that I've had the most success, and I put that in air quotes, but uh, it's just the times where I've not tried to fix and I've just sat with them in the like grief of the rejection and um, in the, in the, in just trying to lead with empathy of, that really sucks. I know that that hurts. And and there's times where I try to help them see that they're not the only one who's ever been rejected in life. I know there was a time where my daughter um, had gone to a party and the girl was just super mean and rejecting of her at the party. And on the way home, we were talking about it. And I had never told her at that point of, 
um, the time that I went to a party and a girl called me fat. And that that really set me... Uh, and the rejection of that party and no one would talk to me and everyone laughed at me. And just the trajectory that it put me on for the next really 20 years of my life being called fat. But I, I led with that and go, I know how it feels. Like, this is what happened to me. And it was just in that moment, she just didn't feel alone in that rejection. And I think that's one of the biggest things we can do to our kids is to normalize. We know we keep kind of coming back to that word, but in a way that they don't feel alone in that. They're not the only ones who have ever felt rejection. I know in my adult life, I'm trying to, you know, I have a a confidence coach who, you know, in as I faced a rejection in 2020, she was like, you know, this rejection is redirection. Like you may not have gotten to do something else if this had you know, not happened. And so that's a little bit on that fix it side. And so I have that kind of tucked in my back pocket for like a future, <laughs> future thing. If, if, if I can, if I can be a fix it person with them when that, that time comes. But for the most part, I've just, I've felt like our kids have just needed someone to like sit in the grief with them about it. The sadness of it. Hmm. <laughs> it is not easy. I'm no. going to say that to Andre next time. What was that line again? Rejection is redirection. Yeah. It, it, you'll be like, this whatever, is, dude. This is Jeff life You're coaching like, me. Get out of my face. Right. <laughs> when Jeff tries to be my life coach, it works great. Yeah. That's great all, for yeah. our marriage. It's really, listen, you should be paying me for this. It's really good stuff. <laughs> I mean, think about all the consulting fees you'd be paying if it wasn't for me bringing. You guys could go on a vacation. You've saved so much money based on that. Uh, Well, what is something that you want to say or would want to say to parents, women, mothers who have felt like they have somehow lost their identity that are sitting in that space of listening to you and being like, yeah. Which is like 99% of every person listening right now. Like I somehow made everything about my life for my family, for my husband, for my kids, for my job, for everybody else. And I'm sitting here having no idea who I am and I don't know what to do now. So, but I'm listening to you, Sarah, and I hear that you're on the other end of this, but what do I need to do or how do I move from this space? Like what, how did you get to that place? I I think it kind of goes to what we were saying a a minute ago. Be curious, start, ask, start on that journey. I think for me, I started journaling again. Um, and I used to always be an avid journaler, um, growing up. I, I mean, I have like my high school journals, like bless Sarah's heart. Like when I look back on those words, it, it was kind of like going, okay, well, let's figure this out. Like, let's go on a self-discovery journey. And those journals were a place for me to be very honest. Like if I wanted to say that I was really mad at, you know, my husband or my kid or what, or the situation or a work thing, um, a place to just be very honest. And that was needed, I think, to find yourself. Sometimes you have to just be really honest with yourself. <laughs> you have to start being able to say what you really want to say. For me, I felt like I started tackling like the shoulds and supposed tos and really going, am I doing this because I'm supposed to or do, am I doing this because I want to? Like being curious, asking yourself those questions. And there's some things that you're doing because, well, I just have to. Like, I mean, I have to pay rent. If I want to live in this place, I have to pay rent. Like those are givens. But walking the dog, I don't want to walk that dog, but I'm supposed to. Like, so then I just stopped walking the dog. And that was life-giving to stop walking that dog. <laughs> I so cared about his physical health. And I was like, that's, that's little, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I felt like for me, do you guys ever watch that movie forever ago? Runaway Bride? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeff, probably not. It's yeah, like, I did. I um, had three older it's sisters. Figuring I watched it. okay. It's figuring out your eggs. It's figuring out your eggs. Yes. I didn't even know what kind of eggs I like to eat because I just was like, whatever anybody else wants me to be or what I'm reading these books and they're telling me I'm supposed to be, I just was being all these people. And so it was literally just kind of like, well, why don't you just eat all the different kinds of eggs and figure out what you actually like? And so it was that, that's what I mean, like this self-discovery journey. I started, I do think the, the most influential book for me has been The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. I read it like the Bible. I read a little bit of it every day, just different pieces of it. But it's how to cultivate a wholehearted life and 
you know, and it's pieces of play and gratitude and realizing that you are enough as you are and that you are, you know, you are worthy of love and belonging. And so I feel like reading those kind of books for me helped me focus on finding myself. And well, what did, what do I really enjoy doing? And you know, just again, it's that curiosity, asking yourself those questions and not putting so much pressure on who you're supposed to be based on what everybody else says. So in that process, how did that change your relationship with Scott? It became better in that, like I became a better human <laughs> even mm-hmm. in that process. And so I was developing more empathy because the more I began to accept myself, the more I began to accept others. And so it helped me to recognize, you know, some unrealistic expectations and things like that. Actually, one of the things that led me to Brene Brown, this would have been in 2015, 2016, my husband faced like a professional like loss. And so watching him walk through that, I think that was one of those big pivotal moments that um, we could have gone either way. And, and learning how to lean in towards each other versus out. And if he has changed and developed... I, I, when you guys were on my show the first time, we talked about that statistic that you fall in love three times. The, you know, the, mm-hmm. the hard thing is falling in love with the same person who changes. Through, yeah. you know. And I feel like that was one of those years that I was working... You know, I found Rising Strong through that year. That's by Brene. Mm-hmm. And he was going through this hard thing of failing. Because that's all about when you've like, you're in the arena, face down, you failed. Like, how do you rise up? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so as I was working on myself and believing all those things, do I believe it to be true that you are enough and that you, you can fail miserably and still like, it doesn't change like your worthiness. Like that, that was hard for me. I'm a performer and achiever and I'm going to like, you know, and here he is. And, we're kind of both together in the arena face down. Understanding those things, I think, helped me have empathy towards him and give him the space he needed to kind of find his identity. And I feel like he found his identity. I'm six years older than him. So, you know, I like to, you know, train them up in the way they should go is what I always say. So you marry, (laughs) marry young. But I say all that to go, he needed that time. That was kind of his, like, as I was in my late 30s going through this, like it was his moment of like, finding himself really. Mm-hmm. And and who he emerged was different than who I married. And I'm thankful that I had gone through that process because I feel like I leaned in mm-hmm. and I was curious. And instead of leaning out and going, well, you're not who I signed up for. And, mm-hmm. and I think we are we're 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 better together now than we would have been before that whole thing happened. And now it's time for the breakdown. Let's break it down. Man, a couple of quotes she wrote down that I wanted to really bring up. The first one, when I lead with curiosity, I find I am more generous with my responses. More uh, empathetic, less judgmental. Yeah, that really stuck with me. I think that's something that I want to write down. And um, yeah, it just it, it's like one of those constant reminders. That's an intentionality of how you approach relationships. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I remember we were driving with the kids one day and there is a homeless man on this bench and we were at a stop sign and he was kind of across the way and the kids were staring and watching him. And I just kind of led to like, why do you think he's sleeping on the bench right now? And the kids were really little, like four and six at that time. And, you know, one said, oh, he doesn't have a house. And then the other said, he's just really sleepy and, you know, like all these things. And so I just kind of kept saying, like, after they were like, he doesn't have a house. And I was like, oh, why do you think he doesn't have a house? And then we just kept going, maybe he doesn't have a job. Why do you think he doesn't have a job? Like, and it just kept leading and leading. And it got to this place where the kids, I saw like tears in their eyes and they were like, this man might be really sad. He might be really sad about laying on the bench and not having a house and food. And, and it, I think it just, that curiosity, if you can like keep pushing it to have them and ask more questions, it humanizes people more. It leads to that empathy because they were kind of just looking at him like, 
eh, he's a homeless guy on a bench, right? And then curious questions led to a whole lot more. And so I think that's um, a great, great way to lead. Which is true. And another thing she said, which is like her number one tip. What? Have awkward conversations in motion. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Don't Do look when at you're each in the other. Car, <laughs> when you're walking. I mean, this isn't, this is a tip for parenting. It's also a tip, honestly, for marriage. Any conversation, any hard conversation, I think is way better walking. Yeah. That was actually, it's funny. Uh, that was a trademark of Steve Jobs. You don't care about this, but I'm going to bring it up. Okay, mister. Steve Jobs, you know what he used to be known for is when he was trying to make a deal with another company, he'd take them on a walk. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't end the walk until he had the deal. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. He would just keep walking. Like, because they didn't know where the campus, where right, he would get them yeah. lost. And he just keeps going and going and going. That's funny. And some of, but some of our best conversations have been on walks or on long car rides. And that's probably true with, with parenting. Like, let's do that. Let's proactively be on the move. It's a little less threatening. Uh, it, there's forward motion in life and in the conversation. Yeah. One of the things that she said that really stuck out to me was when she talked about um, loving me because of who I am and not this idea of like in spite of who I am. I think when you change those little few words right there and say that because it's this like deep belonging that no matter like that who you are, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the everything is loved and is belonged and is a part of us and is okay to be included in this love that we have for our kids. Um, even when they're not behaving like we want, uh, acting, if they're acting out like we don't want, you know, all these, like you can have all these other things, but we can still say like, that phrase to them, I think is really beautiful. Yeah, that's good. Well, this has been an incredible episode with Sarah. Yeah, I think this is, I feel like if you have listened that you really have heard her like kind of message of like finding your authentic self is your starting place Mm. that will then lead to a more authentic relationship with your kids a more authentic relationship with your partner. And um, and she had to find that within herself first before it could go any other way. I love it. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Um, go check out her book. Check out her podcast. Listen to Andre talk all about sex on her podcast and me <laughs> giving color commentary along the side a little and bit. And remember her book. It's a mother's guide to raising herself. Go ahead and go pre-order it today where you buy your book. Yeah, and if you haven't taken a second to just do a nice little rating on our podcast on iTunes, whatever you listen to. Is that iTunes? It's podcast on Apple. I don't know what they call it now. Um, or wherever you listen to it. Give us a little, give us some stars. Give us, give us the love. Give us some love. Five stars. Don't forget about us. And that's another episode of Love, love or, or Work. This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.